let's go ahead and finish up our series on cultivating our culture. Uh, for those of you that maybe haven't been here, what we've been doing has been kind of defining ourselves. we kind of given us a little bit of our, our DNA. Our, our mission and our vision is basically what we do, and, and this is our culture is kind of who we are. This is basically explaining to you who we as a church feel God has called us to be. There's churches all over the place, and God loves churches and loves people, and it's great and it's awesome, but every church is a little bit different. Every church has a little bit of different DNA. If all the churches were the same, that would be pretty dull and pretty boring. This is what we are. This is what God has called us to be. And basically, we've been going through the last uh, three weeks, going through two a week, kind of expressing what that is and who we are. This is the last week that we're going to be looking at this. And then next week, we're going to be starting a new series that I'm very excited about um, and looking forward to. And so uh, we'll talk about that, obviously, next week. But basically, we have to understand what cultivation is and why we're doing this. And so we're going to look at our, our, our text Scripture for this series has been Genesis chapter 2, verses 15. And in Genesis 2, 15, we see this verse. It basically says that basically the Lord God placed man... Uh, and took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Our, our goal, our job from the beginning of time has been this understanding of cultivation. Now, cultivation doesn't just happen. Cultivation is a process. You work at it. You've got to get your hands dirty. It's something that you don't just look at a piece of ground and say something like this. Cultivate. Doesn't work that way. To cultivate something, you've got to turn up the soil. You've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to put some, some fertilizer down. And kids, let's be honest, you know, sometimes when you talk about fertilizer, you can talk about the little stuff that you throw down, has little seeds or whatever. When I was a kid, you know what fertilizer was? Cow manure. My grandfather had cows. And so he'd go out to the field and he'd get himself some homemade organic fertilizer. He'd put it on those gardens, and I remember as a kid going, Grandpa, what are you doing? That's yicky, that's dirty, and that's gross. And he said, Aaron, just trust me. And I said, but Grandpa, you, he said, just trust me. In about six months, all that beautiful food started to come out of that ground, and I had forgotten completely he put manure on it. That and Grandma washed it really, really well. But it takes work. It takes effort. And so we are going to cultivate these things. We're going to allow these things to, to grow inside of us and grow into us as a community. So if we understand cultivation, we have to understand this. We'll work at it. We'll give it special attention, and we will encourage it and foster it to grow. We are not here yet, guys. We're not at the place where we are able to look at these eight things and say, yep, we've nailed it. Yep, we're there. Yep, we're done. Not even close. We will never get to a point where those eight things, and there's six right now, there'll be eight by the time you come next week, where those eight things will be things that we look at and go, man, we've nailed it. Man, we're good. We're just going to get better and better and better and better. That's our hope. That's our prayer. That's our desire. That's what we're cultivating. And this week, we're going to finish this series up. We're going to talk about the last two things that we're going to be cultivating. And again, if you haven't been here, I like these little sayings. I like these little things that we can say and basically remember. So if you like basically just the facts, ma'am, just the facts, you'll get your facts. If you like your homey little funny little saying, you'll get that. And so basically, that way we can remember. And here's the first one. Number one is this. If you do what you've always done, you will get what you've always got. If you do what you've always done, you will get what you've always got. And in that idea, we are going to cultivate adaptability. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 9. 
This is a longer verse, but I wanted to put it up there so that we can look at it together. The Apostle Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth, and this is what he says. He says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law, even though I'm not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And it continues here in verse number 22. It says, when I am with those who are weak... I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. I love this verse because I like culture. Okay? I enjoy studying culture. One of the things I like to do is to look into subcultures, to look into the idea of culture, and to understand exactly what things are. For years, for the last 15 years, I had been studying very, very diligently a very strange foreign culture. The teenage culture. Foreign. Strange. It has changed in those 15 years tremendously. When I first started as a youth pastor, it was one way. And now it's completely different. And I remember learning that. And I remember them helping me. And I had to learn their language. And I had to learn what they did and who they were and what they valued and all these sort of things. Paul here is expressing something very important that we need to understand. Paul here, and let's start here because this is where we need to start so that everybody understands moving forward. So you're not going to a place that you're not supposed to be going to when you're not going to hear what you're supposed to hear. Okay, let's go. Paul here is not saying that the message of Christ and himself crucified changes. He is, however, saying that the method that he uses to share the gospel does. When he's with certain groups of people, things change. Not the message. The message stays the same. The methods must change. If the methods do not change, we become irrelevant to the situation and the culture that we find ourselves in. So we have to start there. Because a lot of times when we talk about adaptability, all of a sudden we have these spheres that are coming up and we're going to get into this weird nonsense about this or that, Jesus was a girl and all this nonsense. No way, no how, in any way, shape, or form. We will preach the word. We will share the word. We will stand on the word. It is our authority in all things, in all situations. However, that is what is holy, not the method in which we share it. We have to be adaptable. We have to be willing to change how we share it depending on who we're speaking to. I remember I had kids when I was a youth pastor that would come up to me and I would speak on a Sunday morning and they'd look at me and they'd go, oh, I'm all so confused. I said, dude, what's going on? He said, well, you talk different on Friday nights. We had youth on Friday nights. You talk different on Friday nights than you do on Sunday mornings. And I said, yeah, I sure do. He said, well, why? I said, because your parents are there. 
Well, why should that matter? Aren't you being authentic? Because that's big. I said, absolutely I am. But I know my audience. See, Paul here, what he's expressing is that. He's saying, I know my audience. I know what I need to do and to be to help them to express, for them to find out who Christ is. If you look at this scripture and you look at it, there's a theme that continues through it. And it's simply this. I am doing this so that they will know Christ. I am doing this so that people will discover Christ. I am doing this so that more people in more situations, in more circumstances, can understand and accept the love and grace of Christ. Funny that I think something on a wall way back there says something about how important it is to us to help people discover Jesus. If we're going to do that, we're going to have to be willing to do some things that maybe are a little bit different. That maybe are a little bit outside of your comfort zone. You say, we've never done that that way before. When you say that to me, you're going to make my face light up like a Christmas tree. Because I'm going to go... Yeah! You're going, oh, no, 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 that's not a good thing. Oh, yeah, 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 it is. Because you can't, if you've done it that way, you've probably reached those people. When you do something different, you have a chance to meet people and greet people and make a difference in people in ways that they've never had it happen to them before. That's exciting to me. Now, listen, you, you go, oh, 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 you, you, you hate tradition. No, no, I love Christmas. What do I love about Christmas? The fact that you do the same thing. Every, I mean, listen, you know, I talked to my wife. There is an order to Christmas morning. You do it this way. I, the, traditions are great, guys. Traditions aren't the problem. It's when we get so trapped in those things that we stop making a difference in the lives of people. That's what we need to understand. Listen, the thing you need to understand is this. Change is the only constant. Change will always be a part of what God is doing. Why? Because God is making all things new. What does that mean? It means God is changing things. God is making things new. You can't make something new if it doesn't change. But change sometimes in the church is a dirty word. It will not be here. And you say, well, what if it doesn't work? You know what? It might not work. And guess what? When it doesn't, we'll change again. I would rather have a problem of failing with trying to do something different than doing the same thing over and over and over again and getting the same results over and over and over again. Adaptability matters. How we share the gospel matters. Now again, I will say it again because I just want to make sure you understand so you don't walk out of here saying the things that I don't want you to say. We are not going to turn our backs on what Scripture says. We will stand firm on those things. Scripture is very, very clear. And let's be honest, our culture right now is loving this idea that there are no black and whites. Folks, there are black and whites. But the black and whites come from that book. Not necessarily all the things you're comfortable with. Because the goal here is to help people discover Jesus. The goal here is to help them grow in him. And that might mean that we're going to have to do some things just a wee bit different than what we've done in the past. And I'll just let you know I welcome that. 
you may come to me and say, I got this crazy idea, and I'm going to be like, okay, this sounds going to be good. What do you mean? You, you want to you you do what? Okay. Um, well, maybe. <laughs> Let's see. But we're open to that. We want that to be a part of who we are, and we want that to be a part of our culture and our DNA. The most important thing here is souls. The most important thing is that even though the message remains the same, the methods will change. They have to, so that many people can come to know Jesus. Adaptability is important. Adaptability is understanding that we don't know it all and that we're going to trust God to lead us to do things that we've never done before so that we can reach people that have never heard before. And that's exciting to me. That's something I look forward to. Does it scare me? Yeah, a little bit. But we're going to get out of the boat and have faith in that. The second and the last, and I save this one for last on purpose, and it's this. We are serious about the discipline of joy. We cultivate celebration. Look at Nehemiah for me. Eight, eight. We'll go back one for me. There you go. In Nehemiah 8, they basically have rebuilt the walls. They have found the book of the law. They're reading it. And they're getting a little sad because of all that's happened and basically all the situations that have not been good for the Jewish people. But now we see this story kind of pick up in verse number 8. It says, they read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the message of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites were interpreting for the people, said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of God. Now go ahead and jump over to verse number 10. It says in 10, and Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. And share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too, quieted the people telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they heard God's words and understood them. Do you realize in ancient Israel, God commanded the people, commanded the people three times a year to have a party. To have a party. Three times a year, God in his word, as he was basically describing all the stuff, all the sacrifices, all the stuff that they had to do, all the ritual cleanings, all the ritual stuff, all how to kill the bull, how to do this. God in there basically says, oh yeah, just so you know, three times a year, you're going to have a great, amazing party and celebrate. I want to ask you a simple question. And I want you to be honest and think about it when you think about the churches you've been in your life. How good has that church been at celebrating? And I'm not talking about worship, and I'm not talking about praise. I'm talking about just being excited because God has done something amazing in our lives. I'll be honest, most churches I've been in, man, you walk in and I go, man, who died? Where's the casket? Do we have... Okay, wait, listen. 
I thought about doing this. I, I, I said, I shouldn't do it. And I said, I'm going to do it. And then I said, I shouldn't do it. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So that's, that's my like, if it didn't go well, you can at least know that I was kind of going back and forth in my mind. Okay? So here's what I want us to do. Okay? This is going to be a, a group activity. It will involve everyone, and everyone should take part. It will be extremely easy and simple. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to first look at me. Every, oh, that's, that's, that's unnerving. Okay, everyone's now looking at me. I want you to do something amazing for me. I want you to take this little thing that usually you use to stuff food in and talk. I want you to take the ends of it, and I want you to point them upward. I, I will wait for everyone to smile at me. You realize that it literally takes more muscles in your face to frown than it does to smile? So some of you have been working way too hard. I, I believe this with all my heart. This should be a place of rejoicing and laughter and joy. Because we have been made free by the power of God. The word's very clear. Jesus was able to endure the cross because of the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? That joy was understanding that when he sacrificed himself and rose again, that once again we could have close, intimate connection with our God and our Father. That the, the curse of sin would be broken. That death, hell, and the grave would be put to bed forever and ever and ever. And he looked at that and said, this is going to be awesome. And we walk around like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, my grandparents used to say this. That person looked like he got weaned on a dill pickle. <laughs> and my grandfather made pickles, and so I understand what that would mean. Folks, we're going to celebrate. We have reason to celebrate. Our God is the inventor of the party. Not the world. The world has taken it and twisted it like Satan always does. God always does something beautiful and Satan comes along and he twists it. But you know what? We need to get it back. It's ours. It's God's thing. We get it back. I'm tired of the enemy coming and taking things and twisting it. And then all of a sudden we go, ooh, that's dirty. Ooh, that's not good. No, 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 no. God has ordained it. It was a sacred day. It was a command. Go, have fun, enjoy each other, eat together, drink together, enjoy God together. This was an exciting moment. They were commanded not to weep, but to have joy. They were commanded to smile. They were commanded to be excited. They were commanded to say, man, God is so big and so awesome, I'm actually going to let it show on my face for once in a while. Where's your joy? Are you tired? Are you worn down? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not the love of God. Not the mercy of God. Not the grace of God. Are those important? Absolutely. But you want strength that comes from joy. The reason why we did this last is simple. If you do all those things out on that wall without joy, you're a Pharisee and you're missing it. Period. You're doing it to follow a bunch of rules. You're doing it to be good. What do you think the word says? I love a cheerful giver.
Listen, you think little kids went up to Jesus because he was sticking the mud? Listen, I know kids. I have one. They, 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 they don't play around. You know, we as adults, we can play around. We'll, we'll put on the mask. And be, kids don't do that. They don't, they're not there. They will go to kind, joyful people. But when they they don't get nothing to do with you. I want to ask you a simple question. When was the last time a child was excited to see you that wasn't related to you? Seriously. When was the last time you had a kid? Oh, this is so cool. And this is not about me, but this was just so cool. It just made my heart just jump. Today I came in and the worship team was going and, and Gordon and Alicia were up here and Christopher was, was in Alicia's arms. And she was kind of practicing. I walked in the door. And Christopher goes, Aaron! And I'm like, I didn't know the kid knew my name. I mean, I was so excited. Because he was like, Aaron. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, it's like you want up and be like, hey man, what's going on? He's like, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm good. You know, he's like, how's Easton? And I'm like, I'm top liver, you know. But it was an amazing moment. It was a special moment. How's your joy? Where's your joy? Because it'll give you strength. It'll change your life. It'll be more. We need to take seriously the discipline of joy. I use discipline on purpose because discipline sometimes is hard. Discipline is something that we have to train ourselves in. You must choose joy. Joy will not happen naturally. We are not made that way. If we were, God would not have to have commanded us to have a party every three times a year like he did in Israel. We're not good at joy because we kind of do this. This is what we do. We, we, we're afraid to open up because somebody's hurt me. Joy is a very vulnerable thing because basically what you're doing is you're going counterculture to what most people are at, which is why joy is so beautiful, which is why joy is so amazing because it is so counterculture. You walk into a Starbucks or you walk into a store. You go out, out of this place and you don't find joy. You find anger. You find resentment. You find people that are just angry with the world. And we see the one that has joy. And let's just be honest. We go, what's wrong with him? Or we'll do this, which is even worse. And I've been the one that's done this. We'll say, faker. That's not really what you're about. You're trying to put on an air. You're trying to be fake and phony. And that's not what I'm saying here. I'm not saying we put on a mask to fool everybody. Because there are going to be moments that are difficult. But we're not talking about happiness. Happiness is a natural response to favorable situations. Joy is deeper. Joy is understanding that in all things, no matter how dark, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult the moment is, we will find something to rejoice about. Period. And even if it's just one day, one day soon, I will leave this rock and I will be with Jesus for all eternity. You know what, folks? That should be enough. And every person in this room has 10 more things that you have something to rejoice about. The question is, are you going to discipline yourself enough to focus in on them or focus in on something else? I didn't do this because I couldn't find one this week. 
but I want you to use your imagination with me. If I brought a big, huge whiteboard or a chalkboard or anything of that nature up here on the stage, and I put it up here, just white or green, depending on what I pick. Let's just say I had a whiteboard. So a big whiteboard is up here on the, the stage. And I took a black dry erase marker. And I walked up to it. And I put a small dot that everyone could see on the blackboard or on the whiteboard. And I asked you, what do you see? I guarantee you, the majority of you would all say the same thing. I see a black dot. And you're right, you do. But because of that black dot, you've missed the enormity of the white board. Let me help you understand something. You can focus in your life on the black dots that are there. Or you can focus on the enormity of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and God's goodness. The choice is yours. But don't come to me and say, I don't have a white board. Don't come to me. Now, your black dot may be bigger than mine. But I promise you this, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you have gone through, no matter what you go through, your whiteboard will always be greater than your dots, depending on what God does in us. But you will always, always have a whiteboard that's bigger. Your question is this, what are you going to focus in on? Here, with the best of our abilities, to the best we can, we are going to focus in on joy because we have something to rejoice about we have something to be excited about you go Aaron I'm not real excitable oh good because I'm not really talking about that I'm talking about joy well I'm kind of quiet oh good that's great because I'm not talking about being loud and obnoxious like I am I'm talking about joy I'm talking about letting something overwhelm your heart and however you and God have decided that that is supposed to be manifested, that's between you and God. Because some of you are real quiet. Some of you don't say anything. Sometimes I have seen the people that are the most joyful are the most quiet. And it's beautiful. Let me give you an example. I'm very excited about this. Next week, my mom and dad are coming. They want to make sure their baby boy is okay and safe. You know, well, make sure you treat me right. You know, Jesus, they're coming. Really, they're, they're, they're coming to see Easton. You know, you know how that works, okay? Okay, we all, let's just all be honest. They're coming to see Easton. And my father will reach down and he'll grab his grandson and he'll hold him. And he doesn't say a word. And his face just lights up with pure, God-given, beautiful joy. And it's beautiful. And he doesn't have to say a thing. And just so you know, when your heavenly father reaches down and grabs hold of you. He's got that same look on his face. There is joy in our Father. The word's very clear. Our Father sings and dances over us. 
Now, I don't know how you picture singing and dancing. But just so you know, when you go back and look at the Hebrew, take what you think you see and understand about that moment and how joyful it is and multiply it times three. That's what your father sees in you. That's what your father does. And if you're going to be like Jesus, joy better be a major part of who you are in all circumstances, in all situations. Will there be time for mourning? Absolutely, there's always time for mourning. But though the darkness lasts for the night, the joy comes in the morning. We're going to live that way. We're going to be that way. We're going to have people walk into this place. Yeah, I, I love the story in, in Second Acts 2 where they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues and it's this beautiful thing and there's an excitement and there's a joy and there's just this amazing moment. And I love the fact that they go out and people look at them and what's their response? They're drunk. They're drunk. They're toasted. They're wasted. They have no idea what's going on. Please hear my heart on this. Follow me. Do not go to a place that you don't need to go to. Stay with me. I want people to walk into this place and go, man, are all those people drunk? That would be awesome. That would be incredible. Why? Because I want people to walk in here and go, there's something different about this place. There is a joy here and there is a love here that is different. These people actually actually are excited about the good news. And we've talked about this before. Why is it called the good news? Because it was great, amazing news. Listen, are we there? Are we excited? Have you smiled recently? Or are you working your face too hard? Have you laughed? God is beautiful. And there is strength and joy. Listen, listen to me and hear me here. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's just as important and vital as the rest of them. As I was putting this together this week and I was looking at this, I almost wanted to title this whole message basically The Forgotten Fruit. Listen, seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit. You hear me? Seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Seriousness is not a sign of holiness. But joy is. One of the things I'm so excited about when I get to be with my Jesus is to hear Him laugh. You see, here's what I understand. God is more joyful than you are. God is funnier than you are. God laughs more than you do. So the question I have is maybe we should try to kind of work on that a little bit. Maybe we should start to get to a place in our lives where basically we're getting to be a little bit more like Jesus. How are we doing that? Are we spending more time in prayer? That's great. Are we spending more time in Bible reading? Oh, that's important too. But here's one. Have you spent more time laughing today? Have you spent more time sharing God's love today with somebody? Have you looked at somebody and said, man, life is hard right now, but you know what? God is good. God is good. Our Father is good. And we're going to worship Him 
and love him and be joyful and be excited about all he is and all that he's doing inside of us. My son's favorite Bible story right now is the story of Paul and Silas in the prison. Remember this story? Paul and Silas are there. They're in prison. Their feet are in stocks, which has got to be uncomfortable. They have been beaten severely. And now they are in the deep, dark prison, basically a place that if you actually saw what it was, would make any maximum security prison that you look like now look like a vacation. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's not a place you want to be. And now you've been beaten severely and you are thrown into a stock where you can't move very well. And in this story, what do Paul and Silas begin to do? They begin to sing. And everybody around them, all the prisoners, all the guards go, what in the world is going on with those guys? You know, it would be great if our world and the people we come in contact with would literally have that question about us. What in the world is wrong with that guy? And because what they're really saying is this, why is that person different? I'm in this negative situation. I'm in a hard thing, but they're responding differently. Why? My son loves this story because then as they're singing, as they're praising, as their joy becomes their strength, all of a sudden there is a mighty earthquake and things begin to change and things begin to happen. You want stuff to happen in this place? Bring an infusion of joy and I guarantee you things will change. I guarantee it. There is something powerful and amazing about God's joy that can change a situation immediately. You say, but Aaron, I have joy, and that situation's still there. You know what? Maybe the change was not necessarily to calm the storm. Maybe it was to calm the storm in you. Because here's what I found. When I am joyful, and I get to that place where I look at God, and I say, you know what, God? This is hard, but you are greater. When I do that, when that happens, the things I am so concerned about get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And an earthquake happens deep inside of me. And I say, God, I don't understand. God, I don't get it. God, this is confusing. God, this is hard. But I choose joy. I choose joy. That's why it's a discipline. You got to choose it. That's why I saved it for last. Because without it, all these just become rules to follow. When there's joy and there's love, all of a sudden it becomes an act of love and an act of joy. We're excited to give. We're excited to serve. We're excited to be who we are. Because bottom line is this. We have the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you understand that? Do you really Have you really let that get deep inside of you? And if you have, then that's great. Because what's deep inside of you always should come out of your mouth and out of your actions. From the wellness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Don't tell me you have joy if you don't live it. Don't tell me you have joy if you're not expressing it through your words and your actions. Are we perfect in that? Absolutely not. There are times where I get so wrapped up in all the stuff that I lose my joy. 
And then I have to reevaluate. And I have to get to that place where I say, you know what, God? I choose joy. I choose the party. I choose that. I love, I love that when all this is done to an extent, we're going to go up and what are we going to do? What does the scripture tell us? What is my grandfather doing right now in this moment? He is not sitting there on a cloud with a harp singing a song. He at this point is at a party. How do I know? Because when the prodigal came home, they killed the fatted calf. They took him. They had a party. And they went in and they celebrated. So much so that the younger son from the fields could hear it. So much so that he walked in and goes, what's going on? What's, what's happening? What? Listen, when this is all done, we get to go have a feast. We get to go have the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's a real spiritual fancy way of saying we're having a party. And I'm going to be there. And I'm not going to be quiet. You're going to have to get used to it. You're going to be way, way over the side. And I'm going to be going, Whoa! And you're going to be like, who's that nut? Oh, that's Aaron. Okay, great. They're like, wait a minute. Wasn't he your pastor? And you're all going to go, uh, uh. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. This is a party. And yeah, there are times for quiet. There's times for still. There's times to be quiet and know that God is God. But let's just be honest. We're real good at that. We don't have to practice that quite as much. But I dare say that we need to start practicing a little bit more joy. I dare say it's time to allow that to infuse us in a powerful way. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to close. I talked about the story of, of John, or John, Paul and Silas in prison. Easton loves that story. He's got it memorized. We always read our, our story, our Bible story together before he goes to bed, and he'll say, Dad, can, can we read about that story? Why do you think my son likes that story so much? He, he doesn't quite understand all of it. He doesn't understand the intricacies of, oh, suffering. And I think, quite honestly, he loves it because there is something deep inside of us, every one of us, that God has placed there that has us long for the party. that has us long for the excitement, for the joy of our salvation. And I think, unfortunately, at times in certain people, as we get older, we become more mature. We become more seasoned as far as our understanding of the world. And bit by bit by bit, we lose our joy. We let the cares of this world weigh us down so much that we forget the joy comes in the morning. And it's time to let that change. Because I think he loves that story so much because there's a connection deep inside of him that longs and yearns for joy. 
and that may have gotten real quiet in you, but it doesn't have to anymore. It can get birthed again. It can be new again. It can be something great again. And we desire that and want that. As we close this, this series, every week we've gone through these things, and this, is, of course, is the last one. And we've made commitments, not to me, but to God, that we are going to commit ourselves to cultivating these cultures in our life. And I have been able to have the, the joy and the excitement of doing that in front of all of you, verbally. That I would commit myself, not to perfection, but to always doing the best that I could to cultivate these things in my life. And I give you an opportunity to do the same. And remember, this is not a commitment to me. This is a commitment to God. So please take it seriously. Please understand what you're doing. So we're going to pray. Uh, we will commit these things. And then the worship team is going to come and lead us in a closing song. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Father, you are good and you are great and you are mighty and you are strong. And Father, right now in front of my God and in front of these people, I commit myself to cultivate adaptability in my life. Father, let me continue to be pliable and moldable in your hands. Don't let me get hard. Don't let me get firm. Let me be moldable in you. Let me be open to things that maybe I wasn't open to before. Father, I am not talking about changing your word. I'm not talking about the black and white issues that are clearly spelled out by your word. What I am talking about is the understanding that maybe the methods need to change. Maybe the way we're doing things need to be adjusted slightly because we desire souls. We desire people to come to know you and we desire for people to grow in you. So, Father, never let us look at things and say, but we've never done it that way. It's a negative. Let that be a positive in our world. Let that be a positive in our church. And, Father, I pray right now that you would just help me with my joy, that I would choose joy. No matter how dark the moment may be, I always have something to celebrate. I always have something to rejoice about because you have saved me. You have ransomed me. You have made me your son. I have been adopted into the family of God. If there's anything in this world to celebrate, if there's anything in this world that deserves joy, it's that. Father, when David sinned, he prayed that you would restore to him the joy of his salvation. Father, I pray right now, I don't care if we got saved last week or last night or a hundred years ago. Father, I pray that right now you would return to me and return to us the joy of our salvation. The joy that says when the end comes, when it's all said and done, when this, this, this the chapter of this life closes, that Father, we will start a new chapter with you for all eternity and that is something to rejoice about. That is something to be excited about. We can be like Paul and Silas and go, no matter how bad we've been beaten, no matter how much we've been put in those stocks, no matter how much our body hurts, no matter how much we sit there and go, God, why, why, why? We can say there will be joy in the morning. We choose joy. I choose joy. Because Jesus... You chose joy. Let this be a place that erupts with joy. Let this be a place that erupts 
with joy. So Father, I commit myself to cultivating joy in my life and in the way I live. Father, you're so good. You're so good. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.